Hi everyone, welcome to Next Steps podcast. This is the Tuesday podcast where we talk about uh, what we've been discussing in church, what the sermon was about, what our speaker wants to expand on, what we want to reflect on as a bunch of people. So yeah, welcome to the podcast. As we start, we'd like to do an acknowledgement of country and we acknowledge and pay our respects to the first Tasmanian peoples as traditional owners and custodians of the land we walk on. And we also pay respect to elders past, present and future and for their care for country, land and seas over the past thousands of generations. So today we've got, uh, I don't know what order to do this in, Emily. Hi, Emily. You can wave, then we'll know which one you are. Um, <laughs> Pete. Fairly stubborn, really. <laughs> so, yeah, so welcome to our podcast. Uh, we're, we're just starting a new series, so we're, we're looking at the teaching of Jesus. Um, in 2019, um, at Citywide, there was a series on... Uh, the revolution, Jesus the Revolutionary, I think it was called. Um, and then this is a continuation on from where we left off. So I think I think there are is it five different sermons that Jesus, um, that Matthew communicates from Jesus? Yeah, that's right. So five different times he has Jesus teaching. So this is something. I just want to show everyone this. This is, Stu's done a, a good job. The teaching of Jesus, the truth that shows the way. That's the, the logo for the realizing that half people that will be engaging with this will be listening to it and so you know watching things on video is not very useful to those so apologies to you yeah but it looks great you should see it yeah <laughs> yeah good and so that possibly the most famous teaching of jesus in matthew is the sermon on the mount yeah. um chapter five through to nine and and here we here we kick off in matthew chapter 10. um i wanted to read just one passage from chapter nine just to get the ball rolling so it's Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38 in the NIV. And Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the, his harvest field. So this is the introduction to our passage. Yeah. So, Matt, how did, is there anything you wanted to kick us off with in this discussion? Well, I mean, that's where we started the discussion. And and I think part of, even before that, part of the reason, I mean, we spent 2019 in the Sermon on the Mount. And for us as a church, the whole question is, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? I think I've grown up in church and i know firsthand that it's quite possible to turn up at church and not ha not have it deeply affect you and so uh i actually i started the the message with this quote from dallas willard that the the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by professional culture are identified as christians will actually become disciples students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ. The, the quote goes on. It's a longer quote, but I, I, that kind of nails it. That's, that's why we spent so long in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why I want to come back to Jesus' teaching here in Chapter 10. And it, as, as you've just indicated, it's framed by um, Chapter 9 and, the, and, and Chapter 8, the stories that are in those two chapters. Um, but I, I want us to be able to come again to the feet of Jesus and and I just keep being challenged by how profoundly radical 
his way of life is and how easy it is to settle into a, a comfortable, you know, the way of doing things is okay, isn't it? And and the more I engage with Jesus' teaching, the more I realise, no, <laughs> no, I still got a way to go. And as a church, we've got a way to go. And I feel it feels like the the measure of, we're talking about this with the pastors today. The measure of success of our church and any church is whether it helps people actually follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's interesting that in your quote, it, you differentiate. Well, Willis is that his name? Um, he dis- Willard. Di- Willard, sorry, Willard. He differentiates between a Christian and a disciple of Christ. Yeah. So, can we have a quick? go around what the difference is in those because they sound pretty similar to me what's what's the difference between how he defines a christian and a disciple of christ emily you got any thoughts oh me first <laughs> um i think in this world and generation particularly it's easy to identify something in that you just tick it as a box on your what's that thing that we do census Survey. Or whatever, but um, I don't know. I think a disciple is an active follower. They have an active relationship, and of course, God is the only person that knows our heart. So mm. we are not to judge whether somebody is or isn't. But it's just about us. Mm. But that's just kind of how I saw it when you were talking about it. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, Pete. Anything you want to add into that one? I guess only in in the sense that to me, a Christian should be a follower of Jesus. To, to me, that. I see them as interchangeable, but in our current um, culture and that people have particular thoughts on when you use the word Christian, it um, brings up preconceived ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think for people it may you know, be you know, what they perceive as a Christian as to you know, your morality, your ethics, your, those sort of questions, mm-hmm. um, where a disciple of Jesus is somebody who actually wants to be in relationship to Jesus and live out the life that he um, is, has given us. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll be talking about Disciple of Christ a lot more in this podcast yeah. for the next yeah. number of months. Yeah, absolutely. So. I, I, what I like about the podcast is it's a chance for those of us who are doing a bit of the talking to be able to expand on all the things we wished we mm-hmm. could have had time to say. Yep. And I'll, I'll just read the rest of this quote from Dallas Willard because this is one that I didn't have time mm-hmm. to unpack. But this is him trying to explain the difference. He says, uh, yeah, people becoming disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Will they break out of the churches to be his church? To be without human force or violence, his mighty force for good on the earth, drawing the churches after them towards the eternal purposes of God. And on its own scale, there is no greater issue facing the individual human being Christian or not. It's a lot of words, but I think it sort of gets down to learning from Jesus how to live the life of the kingdom in every area of your life. This is the... And I, I, yeah, I think you're right, Dan. It's what we'll be talking about. Uh, and, And I think... I, I keep coming back to the, this, this question of what does it mean for, for Jesus to be the, the very centre of my life? Mm. Yeah, great. A couple of 
phrases that have really been ringing out for me after reading that Matthew chapter 9 yesterday was um, he said, uh, in Matthew writes, that um, people, the people were harassed and helpless and like sheep without a shepherd. Hmm. So, so Matt asked a question. So from that, Jesus was moved to compassion. Um, compassion I would define as love in action. People might have another definition, but Jesus was moved um, by compassion to these people who were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So we asked our church, Matt, you might want to pop up the slide. We asked the church um, what, where you live, where you interact with the world, um, what things cause compassion to rise in you. And these are a bunch of the words that people come up. So I'll read a few out for those who can't see this. Um, the biggest words, so the words that were repeated by most people were um, they were moved by compassion to the homelessness, to poverty, homeless, to broken families, to domestic violence, loneliness, to those unloved, to unsafe homes. Um, homeless people comes up quite a few times in different ways. For those who are underparented or bullied or poor housing for struggling migrants for oppression and so there's a whole bunch of 40 different words I think of what our people in our congregations felt moved them to compassion hmm. so are there any comments as you um, look at this uh, so yeah Peter Peter is anything there stick out for you I think all of those really um, apply the, the things that cause us to um, really feel for people who are in those situations. Um, but then the challenge is how to put that into action. It's, it's not enough just to have you know, warm thoughts towards those people, but we need to mm. actually take it that next step. And, and how do we go about that both mm. individually and as a community? Mm. Yeah. So, Matt, you talked about the significance of the word and at this yeah. point. Do you want to share a bit about that? Yeah, well, I, I think it's interesting that the NIV dropped it out um, mm. and so did the New Living. The ESV has it in. Um, yeah. And so it depends on the the, the translation, um, whether you see it there or not. But the, in the Greek, the, actual, the word uh, is there at the start of chapter 10, verse 1. It actually says, and Jesus calls his 12 disciples. That comes directly after his prayer. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into this, his harvest field. It'd be easy if you're reading the NIV to think that's the end of one story, now it's the start of another. Mm -hmm. But it's clear that the answer to Jesus' prayer comes as he now sends out his disciples. The answer to all that, all those things that cause us pain or cause compassion to rise for us is the fact that we are sent. Uh, and Jesus sends his disciples as the first, this is the first time people are sent in his name into the world. Uh, mm. But the trajectory of each of the Gospels is that uh, that ends with a permanent sending. Uh, and, and so whether it's the Great Commission or the, or in John 20, where Jesus says, Great Commission at the end of Matthew, John 20, uh, Jesus says, uh, as the Father sent me, so send I you. In Luke, it's actually, you find it in Acts. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the world. And it's in Mark, but I can't remember if it's on the head where it is. But it's that, the, um, the sense that we are sent is, mm. it's not 
waiting for I, I, I quoted my dad who used to talk about people sitting on their aortas uh, the aorta do something about it uh, well, I, I think as the church we have to come to terms with the fact that we are sent that the things that cause compassion to rise in us uh, are not just some things that we should be waiting around for someone else to do something about hmm. so as I, I like redefining this word as Christian which is a very broad phrase from the start before where we talked but a christian should be someone who's sent compelled into action for the sake of others but yeah yeah good okay so then then we start looking at the 12 disciples and who he sends and it's um in the you come up again to the word and so you do and and seems to be quite a theme for this sermon so and so my people are without a shepherd so the people are without a shepherd um and they're being harassed and harangued and so i'm sending you mm. and then in the list of disciples so let me just read this out um so in matthew chapter 10 verse 2 to 4 that says these are the names of the 12 apostles first simon who is called peter and his brother andrew james son of De zebedee and his brother john philip and bartholomew Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So, Matt, what's the significance of the and in this section? Well, uh, for those who um, it's fairly, fairly obvious, the, the, the disciples are listed in pairs. And then when Mark is telling this same story, he actually says a detail that Matthew misses out, although I think he's saying kind of in the process of it. Mark actually says, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two. Uh, and uh, this is where, uh, I, right from the very first moment, Christians are sent into the world. They're not sent alone. We're sent together. And we live in a world, we live in a, in a culture that makes it all about you. And it's really dangerous and easy for us to not actually have real fellowship um, and so uh, I, I think the need for fellowship is there for everybody but it's particularly there if you're going to go and try and represent Jesus in the world um, if you're going to try and be his ambassadors uh, it's essential and and I, I, I think we've got to rediscover what it means to have fellowship. Hmm. Yeah, great. And he sends them out. Uh, this is the bit that I wouldn't mind some discussion on from all of us. He sends them out. It might not tie totally with your sermon, but he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Hmm. And they pretty much, the evidence is they pretty much drive, um, heal every disease that they come across, except for, uh, for one guy who they really struggle with. Um, and, and and Jesus ends up casting out a demon out of this guy. So uh, this is one that I find interesting: is they that they went out and um, to heal every disease and sickness and to cast out demons. Hmm. Is that is that our experience today of being sent out? Yeah, well, it's good to keep that, that in mind with, with what you read earlier from Matthew nine thirty five. It's, it's almost word for word with what because in matthew 9 it says jesus went through all the towns 
teaching mm. in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Mm. And, and now he sends them and they're almost word for word doing exactly the same thing. What, what Matthew is saying is they're going and being Jesus mm. uh, in all these places. And and I think so. You're asking, do we see that happening now? Yeah, like um, it is that same calling that uh, this is written to the twelve that were sent out. Is that same calling the same to us now? I think is a question I like to ask. To go and be Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Yep. When you answer it with a phrase like that, it makes it pretty obvious. <laughs> but yeah, Pete, wonder if you've got any thoughts around this one. Yeah, well, certainly Jesus in another place said that um, to his disciples, "You'll do even greater works than I do." So, and mm. I, I don't. See, I mean, some people say that that stopped at a certain time in history, but my reading of scripture doesn't indicate that. It means that you know we should be seeing that. Um, on an ongoing basis and in mm. some parts of the world it is very evident that it is happening yeah uh, so i think yes yeah, certainly we should be seeing that um and i would love to explore you know how we can actually see that be more prevalent in our in our communities yeah because you have quite a um a ministry in praying for healing like that's a calling it would you say that's a calling god's placed on your heart it is yeah certainly a calling to prayer um uh, which includes prayer for healing and i'm mm. still working through what that actually means and i'm certainly no expert on it but i, I really want to learn more about it and, and how that um, should operate in in our society and in our church mm. and um mm. And, and I'd, I'd love to see people being being healed. Hmm. Um, and so what are you finding? What have you been learning, Pete, along that road? Um, well, I guess from my own experience, um, going back about oh, 15, 20 years, I was in a situation where I was in hospital hmm. in ICU and, uh, and, and pretty crook. And the pastor at the time came to visit and went and got the church to pray for me because he, he recognised that uh, how sick I was, and hmm. uh, that night the church came together and prayed. Uh, the doctor told my wife he um, had one other plan. He could change one lot of medication, uh, and if that didn't work, then he didn't know what to do after that. Um, hmm. But that night, after the church got together to pray, uh, I turned the corner and started hmm. to improve. You know, was that the church praying? Was that the change in medication? I think it was a combination of both. But hmm. I think that the fact that the church got together to pray was um, instrumental hmm. in that. Hmm. And and for me, the, the love that was shown through that, because I heard later on that you know, there were people who didn't go out overnight, um, didn't drive overnight, who actually made the effort to go out just to be there to pray for me. Hmm. Uh, and it was, uh, wasn't just the prayers, it was the love that encompassed that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So having experienced that myself, yeah, I, I you really want other people to be able to experience God's healing in their life, which is yeah, certainly includes um, 
healing from sickness, but uh, it, it's much broader than that as well. Uh, mm. Includes you know, relationships and uh, all, 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 all areas. Mm. So I'm still still on a journey of what it means, but uh, part of that is having monthly prayer and healing services, mm. um, which we encourage people to come to, um, either because they need prayer for healing or because they want to be part of the praying for people who do. Yeah, and, and you just, do that. Um, yeah, and you do that on the first Wednesday of the month at Lena Valley Citywide Lena Valley at twelve fifteen through to one. Yeah, so, and certainly yeah. that's open for anybody to come along and be be part of. Yeah, great. Great. Uh, Emily, did you want to add anything into this conversation on healing? Um, I was just thinking about um, something that Matt said in his sermon yesterday, that we're all called specifically to be where we are right now. There's a reason that I was born now and not in 1700s or mm. even earlier than that. So and I think sometimes we don't know what we're called to, but I think we're just called to be present where we are and to be mm. on the lookout and to do the good works that he's prepared for us long ago, but we don't know what they are. Mm. It's just about being open. And I think compassion is a stepping stone towards where God asks us to do something. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a time in your sermon when you were talking about this and all I kept thinking about was that song where it's talking about all these things in the world, poverty and people in slavery and why don't you do something, God? And the chorus is, yes, I did. I created you. So it's time for you to do something small and we all have a little part to play. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll come up to that bit in my next question. I think the last thing in just about the healing stuff is often Jesus was doing healing in, in an area and then he would basically say to his disciples, right, guys, we need to move on. We need to go to another town. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I often wondered if healing, healing is such a here and now immediate and, and often a short term. Um, well, always ultimately short term. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I actually, yeah. So I felt like sometimes the, the here and now healing or that sort of thing was actually a distraction from the message that Jesus actually came to give of what it meant to be in the kingdom of, of, of God or kingdom of heaven. Um, and so it's interesting that he, he heals everyone and, and then quickly just jumps over the lake, the Sea of Galilee to another side or goes up a mountain to be alone. Yeah, but it, yeah, I, I know quite a few people who are healed and even the um, the conviction of like because I've I've been healed as well like I suffered from gout which was quite arthritis in, in my toe and it was quite um, debilitating it was extremely painful and a bunch of women just uh, were on a Christian camp and they just thought let's just pray for Dan because this is really throwing him around in his youth work and kids work and they they just prayed flat out for a little while and and I was I was actually instantly healed of my gout. Um, and I used to get it three or four times a year. It would stop me for a week at a time. You know, so it's, it's beautiful. But, but, it, but the healing can often not be that it, it's, um, I'm struggling to find the words. It, it can often not be the main thing that proves to me God exists. It, I, the, the memory of my healing can fade or I can talk myself out of the miracle of healing. It's not necessarily, so if I'm healed, it doesn't make me believe in Christ. Like it's not a natural given. Mm. Yeah. So it, it's interesting talking about this discipleship because I think 
it's so important for us to have more of a rudder of what do I believe in and where do I place my hope and faith and not just in healing and in experience, but actually in, in serving, serving God as a disciple long-term. I don't know quite what I'm trying to say here. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Do you, do you think some of the other miracles were also similar? Like when Jesus fed the people, you know, fed the 5,000, when mm. they all went away with full bellies, but did they then sort of suddenly remember that and or, or did mm. they forget it like we forget about healing in the past? Yeah. And yeah. That was a yeah. It was great at the time, but life moves on, and we forget. I think, I think it's it's easy for us to fall into that trap. Um, mm. Whatever God mm. does for us at a particular point in time, um, if we're not continuing to journey with Him, then it just becomes a a, a, a nice memory to, to look back on. But mm. uh, yeah, we need to, to continue that relationship. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That makes me think of when there are people in the Bible that were healed by Jesus or his disciples and then told to keep quiet about it. So it wasn't about broadcasting the healing. It was okay, I have healed you of this. Now you move on to the next thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. So, Matt, is there any more that you wanted to talk about with the pairs and sending out not together? Sorry, sorry sending out together. Well, yeah, in that, I, I still think there's something I haven't been able to communicate. It's, I, I wrote about it in my book, uh, mm -hmm. but, but I don't think it's been a real challenge to 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 help um, make it work in a church. And that is that everybody needs two kinds of fellowship. Uh, you need fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, people who are different to you, people who annoy you, and, uh, and where you come together and are reminded that Jesus is the centre of the universe. But you also need fellowship with people who understand your world. Um, like, it's interesting, M, you're a, when you're not at home with Grace, you're a teacher. Uh, there are particular challenges of being a teacher that a pastor just cannot understand. And there is a a particular mission field that is to do with the culture of a school and families and parents and kids uh, and other teachers and there's also legislation you got to keep in and curriculums and and there is a a kingdom way to be a teacher that a pastor can't really help you with but you, you and and you are in a in a culture that is not necessarily shaped by Jesus so you've got to find what does it mean to be uh, a kingdom-focused teacher? A teacher, what, how does that work in your curriculum? How does that work with your kids? How does that work in your, how you pace yourself and you don't get driven? And, and, and how do you have fellowship in that? And I, my, my dream for our church or for the church is that more and more people who are, who, who are discovering their calling will find the kind of fellowship that helps them do the hard edge work of working out, how does this actually work? When I'm exhausted, I've got reports to write and kids are annoying and, and uh, you know, someone wanting a, something written for some policy somewhere or whatever, how do I, how do, I do that? Or uh, if you're in business and how do you manage the, the complications of being in business? Or if you're a computer programmer or... There, there is a kingdom way of doing all those things 
that I think we've lost and we, we've given people don't necessarily have a, a deep and rich theology of how to do it because we haven't really validated fellowship outside the congregation. And we've got mm. to we've got to find a way to help people find I I don't think it's either or. I think one of the mistakes we made in Fusion Dan was um, that the, the fellowship in the mission focused fellowship in Fusion was fantastic. And it, and actually one of the dangers can be it can once you're in a mission fellowship it can take you away from the fellowship of the church so you don't you don't actually hang out with people who are different to you and it's actually unhealthy it become it becomes uh where your mission can become your god you like your as a teacher one of the great dangers is you're so exhausted from just surviving the week it's either teaching or tv uh or and nothing in between <laughs> um but but you need to be able to leave the teaching world aside and come to the foot of the cross. You've got to leave your mission aside to come to the foot of the cross. So I tried again to talk about these kingdom cells and the necessity of these two kinds of fellowship. And I'll keep banging on about it. We haven't worked out how to do it yet, but I'm really convinced that's part of the future of what the church needs to be. Yeah. Yes. Any any response to that, you guys? I, I agree. I, I think when I was at uni, which is going back quite a few years now, but there were people who were talking about wanting a church just for uni students. But for me, who just moved away from home and was living you know, all week with uni students, what I needed was you know older people and kids and and people mm -hmm. who were different. Um, to, uh, to mix with um, and I think another thing that often as a church with a trap we've fallen into I'd say a trap is people whose work is working with kids like M, you as a teacher would say oh, you're the ideal person to move into children's ministry whereas often for people who are doing that all week you, you need something different to, mm. to focus on in terms of your ministry so it's very easy to Put people into slots in terms of ministry and that based on their you know what they do during the week where sometimes that's not a, not a healthy thing to do yeah hmm. yeah I, I think interestingly enough it's often the mums who are the best example of this because often mums often don't can't even pretend that they can manage it and so often mums get together with mums groups and and, and swap notes with other mums and there's a level of fellowship that can emerge as a mum, uh, as a young mum, and and uh, and I like we we've noticed how much easier it was to build connections when you've got a a, a small child than than when you don't. Um, but there are, I think, there are examples of these uh, kingdom cell kind of groups around the place. But I, I I don't think we've got a way to legitimise them or um, or for them to be part of the church, just as. It's easy. It go, sometimes goes the other way, and so you end up with monocultural churches where you have church for the yuppies or church for the hippies or, mm. or whatever, um, the church for the uni students. And I, like you're saying, Pete, I don't think that's healthy either. It's, mm. You need both kinds of fellowship. So by kingdom cells, in this context, you're talking about um, people having a, a um, working as a team with Christ right at the centre, being outward focused, so being sent, um, but also the source of their hope and life coming from Christ at the centre. So they almost keep radiating out 
the kingdom of God or the well, love I, of Jesus? I think there can be two kinds of kingdom cell. Uh, one is your team, like uh, Wilberforce and the Clapham sect and people who are working together towards a common goal. Like I think in some ways uh, the staff team here at church is a little bit like that, working together on a common goal. But then I, I, I mentioned C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. I don't think they were a team as such, mm. but they, they understood each other's worlds yep. and they could give each other feedback in a way that no one else could. They definitely uh, had a camaraderie. Yeah, they, mm. they really did. And I think that's, that's another kind of kingdom cell where there are times where, yep, you, you, you need to show up as an individual but you need fellowship in that. Like, you can't, Emily can't invite half the church to come and manage her classroom for her, but she does need fellowship in it. Mm. And so, uh, and, and there's complexities, and, and, and so it's a there's, a, there's a kind of fellowship which is just a, a pastoral fellowship, which is legitimate and right and good, but a kingdom cell is. A, a fellowship that 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 is focused on either empowering you to find your calling and stepping into the way God's called you, or together tackling a task like getting rid of slavery. Or um, I love like Alastair is part of our church is working on uh, climate change and trying to get people to work on that. Um, mm. So it's it's both those things, and I I think we we made the mistake of making the church service the main game. And so in that, everybody gets to be a spectator, apart from those who can sing or talk a bit. Um, but the church service is meant to be a, a moment of empowering that helps you for the other six and a half days a week. Mm. Um, and, and you need fellowship out there. And I, I think you, you also need pastoral care. Like I think there's still a place for life groups that aren't, um, aren't mission cells, mission mm. kingdom cells. It's, it's good just to have fellowship with people who may not be called in the same way you are. And that's great. It's, I think that's part of the, the church side of things. But I think there is just a reality. I, I can't help Emily. I've got no idea how to talk about a curriculum and no idea how to take my faith and and wrestle with, you know, what what does it mean to take seriously the Australian educational standards and and managing a, a classroom where half the kids have got special needs and I've got no idea how to do any of that and it would be dumb for me to try to, but there there are other Christians who are living in the wrestle and and what does it mean for us to ultimately help Emily find that kind of fellowship? you know, with people who can wrestle with that together. Or Pete as he deals with government departments and, and bureaucracies and trying to um, as a managed IT, IT, but also care for the people you're working with as well as the recipients, you know. So when, mm -hmm. when the floods happened, Pete had to dive in and, and try and make sure people got money, you know. So there's, we're all we're operating in different contexts and all of those contexts are a mission field. And we need and we need fellowship in that in that. Mm. And you see, I, yeah. I, keep, I keep talking because I don't feel I've ever been able to communicate it properly. Yeah, it feels like it's important. And it's somewhere around this the sacred and secular divide that we've created between yes. the 
church community and what I do with the rest of my week out, out there. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe it's worth reading. If I, if I read Matthew 10, verse 5, this is the bit in the message which you said really stood out to you uh, um, quite a long time ago. Hmm. What's that, 15 years ago? So um, in Matthew 10, verse 5 to 8, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by trying... Um, sorry, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers and don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Matt, do you want to talk to that a little bit? Yeah, it was that, and then the um, the, the the last verse, verse nine, where he says, "Don't don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment." Um, I was going to talk about more after that, and there's a whole, I don't think we'll get to it, but I I think that passage really struck me because I was in the middle of trying to organise a mission organisation. And with young workers and and um, and managing government funding and stuff, but I realise um, how easy it is to try, how tempting it is to resort to programs and plans and 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 uh, you know even fundraising campaigns, um, and and Jesus is saying relax uh but ultimately that the, it's you it's it's pete in 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 this government department it's emily in this school it's me in this church that's that's the equipment most most of us don't feel like there's an, it's enough equipment but that is that is the equipment and and, and that is what it means to be sent hmm. So, Pete and Emily, what do you think? I'm trying to come up with a different word other than you are the equipment, different phrase. How, how would you come up with a different phrase for you are the equipment? I don't, I don't like being so it grates against me a tiny bit. So, got any thoughts? Emily? <laughs> I just didn't know whether or not to talk first. I didn't want to accidentally talk over the top. Um, yeah. I, the thing that comes to my mind is you are equipped because mm -hmm. often we get put into a new position or put into a new school or I can only speak from my personal day-to-day -day and you think, how am I going to do this? How am I going to manage this class? How am I going to cater for that kid? How am I going to handle that extra added leadership responsibility? And then I always just come back to... God has placed me in this school, he's placed me in this class and he will equip me to do what those kids need and what that person needs, what those colleagues need. And it's something I'm constantly reminding colleagues and friends who doubt themselves that at the end of the day, I'm not going to say, how are you going to do it? But you're equipped to do it because you wouldn't be there if you weren't meant to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of people in the Bible that doubt themselves. But God helps them and sees them through to the end and he'll give us the things that we need, mm. even when we don't know what they are. 
Yeah, I know, like in the UK, running a mission organisation, um, one thing that God taught me many times and right, right from early on was don't trust a programme to do the work that mm. that the kingdom and the relationships will do. So I, I just constantly kept, kept coming back to the phrase of don't trust the programme to mm. help people find Christ. That's That's just a way of meeting people. Hmm. I think that's similar lines to what you're saying, Matt. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess another word which I don't particularly like, but which you, you could use is um, you don't need a huge amount of resources. You are the resource. Hmm. Um, and we have departments of human resources. And now in my organisation, we used to get referred to as resources, which I found dehumanising. So mm. it's, it sort of turned me off that phrase a bit, but it's yeah. just another way of maybe expressing um, mm. that idea mm. of um, you are the equipment. Mm. And I love the sort of the sentiment that you go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighbourhood. Mm. You don't have to be dramatic by fighting some public enemy. Like the sense that it's, it's, it's small. Mm. It's not, the kingdom isn't the big moment of triumph. It's the 1,000 little choices to create space for people or not blow up at someone who really deserves to be blown up at. Not that anyone really deserves that. But like it, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the little connections, the spaces. The, it's hard. Like you, you can't fake it. And it's not, there's not a big moment where you go, right now, I've entered the kingdom. We've won the war. It's over. It's, I, I still have to make a choice to love my family, love my neighbours, love my enemies tomorrow yeah. and this afternoon. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's lots and lots and lots of little things in the neighbourhood. It's where you live. It's not, mission isn't out there, it's here. And that, that's, that's what really strikes me. It's what struck me as we did the Sermon on the Mount. It's very personal and small hmm. and it's the found it's the foundation of your life and jesus says you can build your life on that foundation and and it'll be firm or you can build it on other things and it just won't work hmm. yeah. and sometimes it can be as simple as get an invitation to somebody's party and say yep i'll, I'll come to your party yes i, I mean yeah. jesus did that and got into trouble from some people because of it but but mm. often it's just simple things like that turning up we're, when we're invited absolutely yeah. yeah it's amazing how often someone walks past my house while i'm in the front garden and almost always up for a chat like yeah. if, if you say hi so if i the more if i wash my car more regularly in my front driveway i'd have loads more conversations with my neighbors but just finding a way of being out and interacting yeah. yeah, being in the neighbourhood. Mm. Yep. And, you know, we, it's why we talk about Neighbour Day and all that kind of thing. And, and, and I, I, I'm amazed how in our culture it's just not normal. And it's hard work. Mm. I, I'm grateful for Trevor and Ray and their example. Yeah. Leanne and I had a crack at it and didn't, weren't as successful. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's... Even in a, in a church full of people who uh, who know this stuff, we don't have thousands of people. We don't have. I, I think we wouldn't be at a hundred percent of people who are 
productively engaging with their neighbours yet. Hmm. I, think, I think that would be a truth moment. So we yeah. got, we, we've got work to do. And so, when you say when you say neighbours, it could be work colleagues or people who we bounce around. In, yeah, in that, that's what neighbour means. But it, but I, I was even in that stage talking about the people who you live near, because yeah. I think that's a, a good subset, a good test. It's a, it's certainly a subset. It's not. It, it is very much about also about you know who you work with, the people you bump into at the shops. That's hmm. it's all that. But hmm. uh, I. I think there's a picture, like there's a, a book about leadership that talks about um, being on the picture of a stage and there's backstage and fr front stage and and how we learn you, 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 where you're on, you're, you're, you're doing your job, you're in a role uh, and and then we then go and retreat and into our spaces where, where we can sort of regroup and have at me time and and uh, watch TV and and it becomes about me and mm. and I think what Jesus does he gets rid of the divide between front stage and backstage mm. uh, like and and that I don't know if that makes sense but I think yeah. we were talking about it the other day and I, I realized how tempting it is just to think in terms of time off which means I get to be selfish now I get to focus on myself. I don't have to love people because I've I've done enough of that front stage. Mm. I'm now backstage. I get to choose to finish this Star Trek show, no matter what anyone else in the house wants to do, or you know whatever. Not not that I'd be speaking autobiographically there, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I I just I, I find Jesus challenges my front stage and backstage dichotomy. He he, mm. he challenges the me time thing. Mm. He wants me to be me when I'm at home, when I'm in the street, when I'm, and, mm. and he wants me to live from a place of rest and not drivenness. And I think that's part of the other side of it that often we are so driven, we just don't know how to cope. And mm. so that's where we flop in front of the TV and don't know what else to do. Mm. So, Peter, I'll, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Go for it. I was just thinking the whole time you were talking about that. that I don't want to say church and kingdom cells and life groups and stuff don't work without this, but that a really important part is authenticity and vulnerability. And for me, the times that I've really experienced that in my workplace and with other people, yeah, mums groups and stuff, and maybe that's the reason why Matt says mums are better at it, you are vulnerable because you're like, this is hard. And the times I've been real with people, I've spoken about a struggle, something that you maybe because it's vulnerable, you wouldn't openly talk about it because it is weakness or it is the perception of weakness, but it shows the other person that you're human. That's the time I've experienced Jesus's fellowship and really felt him in that moment. Like, wow, I really connected with that colleague. I shared that, that made them share that. And now we have this different kind of thing. I think it's a really helpful insight. And I, I, I want to challenge what you said um, right as you introduced it, you said it's not you're not saying that um, small groups and kingdom cells and things would work without it. I I, I just don't think they can work without. Well, it. Well, yeah, I was sort of thinking. Well, that's what I am saying, but I've, yeah, right. I've prayed like that. I will have a a kingdom cell, and I've thought, well, there's not really anybody around at the moment with my life stage, my age, wanting to do that, or they've already got one. Um, and I think I'm just. I don't know how to word this in a way that doesn't sound offensive, but I'm, I don't want one where people aren't going to be real. I want to be yeah. able to rock up and be like, 
my week sucked and I failed at this and show people a level of vulnerability that I wouldn't show on a day-to-day or probably should be showing a bit more frequently, but I wouldn't show to a complete stranger in Woolworths. Uh, And I just, I I struggle to tolerate when I'm not getting that back and I'm being vulnerable and someone's not, like we're not on the same page. Mm. Really helpful. I I think in some ways, and with your comment, you just cut through to the, the heart of it. That, that ultimately this is a question of vulnerability that that the front stage backstage thing is putting on a show like it, it, and and we get exhausted from putting on a show but but ultimately it, it is the, the question is can we be a church where it's okay to be vulnerable hmm. and i and necessarily, I think if you're going to step into Jesus' calling on your life, you are going to be vulnerable, hundred mm. percent. And we don't, and and we don't, we're not good at that, are we? We're not good at vulnerability. Mm. And and I think that's why we got a fellowship crisis. I think I think you really nailed it. It's coming back to Brene Brown stuff, who I would want to point people in the direction of. She talks a bit about this stuff, about the importance of vulnerability. Mm. It's a pain. It'd be nice to do it without having to be vulnerable, but I, <laughs> but I think it's so true. You, you can't have fellowship without vulnerability. You just can't. I don't think. How important is trust in all this? Because obviously, if you, if you're going to be vulnerable, hmm. you really need to to trust the people that you're being vulnerable with. Um, so yeah. to me, there's that element as as well that. If I'm happy to be vulnerable, I'm not necessarily going to be vulnerable at the same level to everybody. Mm. But um, really important question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Things like the the kingdom cell where you've got a a small group of people that you build relationship with where you can then all be vulnerable and accountable with each other. But if you've got a group where the, the, the membership's changing all the time, then it's much more difficult. I think when you don't know all the people in the group, much more difficult to be vulnerable you know, to the whole group. Hmm. So how do we build that trust that allows us to be vulnerable? Hmm. My question to that was uh, how do you um, build a relationship without being vulnerable? And yeah. I think do you ever find you're in a group and you might not know everyone and you feel a bit, oh, it takes one person who's vulnerable to start breaking the ice and opening mm. up the conversation. And I'm sure we can all think of a couple of people in our church that are really gifted in that. And and then my other thought was sometimes uh, distrust is a real thing. And with certain things, I wouldn't just go talking to anybody about. But um, I think sometimes it can be a hindrance to where we don't get to experience that relationship, mm. that fellowship. And sometimes it's even a blocking um, to Jesus. Just a thought. Right. Yeah, I, I think I, the word, yeah, and the phrase being vulnerable, you can also probably say being real and authentic, mm, being mm. genuine, um, and, I, and that's quite contagious. It, it's actually, it's really obvious if there are two or three in a group who are being real and authentic and vulnerable, and then if, you, if you're wanting to just present and hold up a facade of yourself, it becomes quite obvious fairly quickly. Um, because authenticity is is, is um, contagious it, or infectious, yeah. So, yeah, and and it's always this double edged thing. 
because people will let you down. That you um, this is the, the, the awkward thing about it. That's why it's not okay. Like you do need to be. You, you've got to choose to be authentic, and you can choose at what level to be authentic. And um, mm. but. But one of the one of the awkward things in relationships, it's the people you love the most are also the people you hurt the most. Mm. Um, and and trust will always be a risk and a choice. And mm. for some people, there will be a history that means it's their their history makes it means it's much harder to trust. Mm. And, yeah. and and for other people, it'll be less like that. Mm. Um, but it is, uh, it is always true that um, that that's why that it's 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 a risk, and mm -hmm. it's why you've got to kind of trust Jesus more than the person you're trusting, um, yeah. and, and and hopefully also that there's a, a thing in the church where we can speak the truth in love to each other. And call mm. each other out to be more like Jesus in the times where we lose the plot. That's why mm. Paul and Jesus take some time to talk about how do you deal with all this crap, mm. uh, because we're full of it. Um, and the other thing that I've been really feeling for, especially in today's conversation, so one thing is some, different people find trust easier or more difficult, either by by their character or by their past. But also, um, this has been a great talk for those who are happy meter and greeters who have got no worries just rocking up and chatting to someone. Um, but I really feel for for uh, those of us who find meeting new people and building relationships with neighbours we haven't yet met, some of them find that, not, well, varying scale, but for some it's crippling. Um, and I, I yeah, that, that's a really tough one. I know that we are built to be in relationship with others, and um, but for some people it's easy to be real and authentic with people they've known for a long time. But... But trying to start off that level of relationship as an initial contact, I don't have any advice for those people because because I find it quite easy to rock up and say hi to someone. Hmm. But but how does this how do how does what we've talked about today relate to those who find the initial conversations difficult? Well, I think we've got to do the work for ourselves as well. I think uh, the heart of Christianity is called to grow up and face your stuff. Uh, I, I'm interested. Brene Brown has found the quote. She 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 wrote a book called The Power of Vulnerability. It's an audio book that I found transformative. Like me and I listened to it a couple of times. Really challenging. She says vulnerability is our most accurate measure of courage. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability is our most accurate measure of courage. Now, what may look like vulnerability for one person uh, may not be completely vulnerable for them. Like, because some people, for some people, the going up and greeting people may be a, a, a real risk and challenge. Mm -hmm. um, and for others, the, the line somewhere else. But there still is a, a point at which you become vulnerable, where you your ego is at risk, and 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 it may and and I, I think I think we've got to create a safe place where we encourage each other towards vulnerability. But you, one of the awkward things, you can never push people there because that's abuse. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. 
You can't you can't force vulnerability on somebody else because that is that is abuse. Yeah. It's this awkward. We want to create an environment where people are. And, and I guess you got to trust God enough that it's going to be okay. But it, it's it is it's a real question. Like this, it's it's really important. But Dan, I, I don't know if you mind me asking, but I, you are. I, I'm fascinated to watch you. You are you are very good at going up to people. But it's still like there. There's still a, a line which you go, would go to, wouldn't there be? There's, there'd be a point you wouldn't quickly. Uh, put your your. How quickly would you put your heart at risk? I guess. Well, some of the best examples. Cause this is it's interesting for m- my wife and I because Danny, if, if if you ask Danny to be one of the twelve and go out into the town and heal and cast out demons and stuff, that would be a big deal for her because because meeting new people is quite a difficult challenge for her. But and so it's interesting for for me. I think the. A very prominent, clear example that I remember is I used to do street street work. Um, so I'd just be I'd want to meet a bunch of young people out on the street, find out what life is like for them, for them to know that there's a community of people that care for them, that they're not isolated in their community. Um, and so I remember uh, rocking up. There's about six 16 year olds, pretty tough looking guys standing around the in Australia we'd call it a milk bar over there. It's the corner store. Um, in a tight circle just talking to each other and I really wanted to say hi to him so so that that was that was the moment of my vulnerability of um just I just walked up to him and said hey guys how's it going um and then got the rejection straight back of you know why are you talking to us you freaky old guy I was probably 28 at the time maybe 29 <laughs> um and and it took about three moments of me saying no hang on I'm going to keep going here which was real took a lot of courage um, yeah. and so it's so, even if you say that yeah, there's a catch in your voice as you said it yeah yeah that's right yeah. and so no way I care about these guys enough to be able to try again yeah. and and in the end I we ran a youth center and they all came and found a home there um we actually helped one guy had been in trouble with a had been the police had been involved in the home twice for domestic violence there's another guy he had been kicked out of two schools and he was on to his third um and he was having struggles with drugs so these guys ended up coming up to a, a youth drop-in and just hanging out there and causing a nightmare of a time for us um, as youth workers, but they knew that they were loved and valued and that they were, and it was it was probably the place they would call home because the house is just where they slept and then got out as soon as they could, but they felt comfortable in our home. Now, yeah. it was definitely not easy, that journey, um, and it took a lot of courage, quite a few steps of the way. But, yeah, so, so for me, it, it is a... How do you go and love and serve those around us? How do you? That was an exact thing for me. Of there are guys yeah. on the street who are defining themselves against our society, who feel out, outside of it. How can we integrate them in? Yeah, and I guess that all brings it all back nicely to the what does it mean to go into the neighbourhood? It's going to take some courage. Yeah, it's going to take some vulnerability. It's going to take the the second question after the first question has been rejected. Uh, for some of us, it'll be terrifying. For some of us, it's mildly confronting, um, mm. maybe. Um, but and there are people who are more introverts and more extroverts, and you know, mm. that, that's all true. Um, but for all of us, it takes courage. Yeah. And, and without courage, nobody gets to know you, and you don't get to know anybody else. 
I, yeah. I think for me, Dan, the, the thing that stood out as you shared that story was the fact you were looking to, for ways to show how you cared. Mm-hmm. So you look, so you you cared. That came first, and then you looked for ways to show that. Yeah, I think if you try and do look for ways without that caring, then um, that's a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So we've come up to an hour. We'll finish <laughs> up. Is there anything people want to shoot out before we finish up? I was just thinking that it's uh, sometimes it's a practice skill. And I think that I I look back to when I was 13, 14 and just getting to the age where I could go along to young adults and I would not pray out loud because they had a time to pray out loud at the end. And I remember once Stu asked me why and I said, because your prayers sound better than mine and mine are going to come out all stupid and I don't know what I'm saying and it's just not going to sound good. And for ages that was something I just would not engage in and I had to slowly start praying out loud at home alone and then biting the bullet and while I was wishing I could take back every single word coming out of my mouth just trying to do it in front of small groups or big groups and I think sometimes we look at someone that appears to be really good at it but there's a lot of um, vulnerability behind it Mm. I'm still vulnerable every time I worship lead and I felt a lot of vulnerability on Sunday because I don't go taking communion all the time time. but I think things slowly get not easier but the more we practice it, I guess sometimes we go, well, it went fine or okay that first time, so it's not going to be the end of yeah. the world the next time. I think if if you ever lose that sense of vulnerability, then that's when you're in trouble. Yeah. I, I think we, we, we need that um, because that's when we depend on God, depend on the Holy Spirit to use us. Um, when we think we've, we've actually got it, then... Um, that's when we're not relying on on God and that's when we're more likely to you know, fall in a hole. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, we'll finish up there. This is the beginning of a long series on the teaching of Jesus, so we'll be talking about this a lot more. So thanks, thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, Bye. everybody. And look forward to uh, hopefully finishing what I was planning to talk about on Sunday next week. We'll see how we go as we continue this journey.